Welcome to Emerging Franchise Brands, the podcast that introduces you to the visionary founders of America's fastest growing franchise opportunities. We'll also hear from industry pros as they share insights on what it really takes to achieve the elusive milestone of 100 plus locations. I am your host, Frank Fumi, founder of i9 Sports, and my 20-year journey from inception to acquisition has given me a unique perspective on how to succeed in franchising. Join me as we welcome today's guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Emerging Franchise Brands Podcast. On today's episode, I have Simone Kelly from Grayson's Estate Sales and Business Liquidations. Simone, how are you today? I'm really good. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm excited to talk with you. You have a, a unique concept, different than what we're used to. So... You know, it says estate sales and business liquidations in the name. So I have a feeling I know what this is, but why don't you share with the audience exactly what you guys do? Well, we perform estate sales in homes. People hire us, um, usually if they're downsizing or a passing of a loved one, um, anything that has to do with life changing where they're moving from their home, their parents are going to assisted living facilities. So we go into the home, we sell everything from, you know, the everyday items of paper towels, cleaning products, all the way up to their cars, their boats, their jewelry. Um, and then the business liquidation is really for mostly small businesses. Larger businesses are usually capable of selling. Um, the smaller businesses, you know, you have the small business and uh, what would you say like a strip mall, I guess what we call them, right? Right. And they go out of business. They have a lot of inventory and, and they can't, where are they going to do? They're going to throw it on eBay, Amazon. If they could have sold it there, they wouldn't have paid for, you know, a facility to sell it at. So we go in and do those as well. Then we started with the state sales and then I added the business liquidations about 2019. That was really smart of you. I'd like to think so. Yeah. 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 Well, I want to, we're going to dive in here in a little bit, but I got to ask you, how did you get started in this business? Because you founded this back in 2011 and you franchised in 2014. So, all right, Simone, what's going on here? What made you start this company? It was really um, a fluke. I did not know that there was a secondary market for anything. I mean, I had owned a real estate company, a lending company, um, purchased Remax, owned an escrow company, a TC company, and a sign company. And then I sold all of those. And I had a warehouse that my friend had given to me because I'd helped him and his family with a real estate transaction. And he was like, just figure out what you're going to do. You'll figure something out. And then I had a realtor call me who was also a friend of mine and asked if I would sell a couch. And I was like, uh, well, he actually asked me if I wanted a couch. I'm like, I don't need a couch, but thank you. And he's like, well, you can sell it. I'm like, who's going to buy like a used couch? Like, right. yuck, right? And so then um, he said, no, come pick it up. I'm like, I'm not picking it up. And he goes, well, you know what? You can, I go, I'm not going to put it on the recycler, right? Um, and he said, no, put it on Craigslist. And I'm like, who's Craig? And he's like, I thought it was like some gentleman. <laughs> That's great. No idea. I was so removed from that type of industry. And so I looked at the site and I was thinking, gosh, this is so antiquated. It's right. super hard to find things. It's all just blue line to this day. It's still that way, but I did um, have him, he dropped it off. And then I actually uh, listed it on there. And that day it sold for like $350. I thought, what? I mean, it was really ugly too. Like it was really <laughs> ugly. It was leaving a full couch. It was off white. It was stained. I was, I thought, 
who in their right mind. So looking at the people that bought it, I thought, right. God, you I mean your couch must have been awful at home, right? And and then I was thinking, maybe you know, you go through all your thoughts and process of what people are going to do with things. Sure. So after that, he had started letting people know that I had a warehouse and all the realtors that I have obviously really good relationships from working with them for so long, started dropping things off and just having us sell them. And they didn't want any funds from the beginning. They they, they said I've stored units full of my seller's items. They've been sitting there for years. And and so that's what I did. And and it just morphed into like a consignment shop, which was fun, but not profitable. Um, and then we got a call to do an estate sale. And I thought, um, sure. And then I Googled what's an estate sale because I had no clue what it was. <laughs> and then I you know, researched for that whole 24 hours before I met the client on insurance and how to perform them and contracts and that's how we got our first estate sale. And, and, and I think that was a blessing because it was a very tragic, uh, I would consider mm-hmm. love story. The mm-hmm. daughters did not want to go back into the home. And when we were finished with it, we did two days, I mean, two weeks of it, um, two different weekends. And we were finished. They were so grateful that they didn't have to endure the pain of going oh. through what they went through. And I felt like I had done something to really assist somebody in a time that they needed it the most. And also, you know, make enough money to keep going and doing estate sales and marketing. And so that's how I started it. So you, so your entrepreneurial journey was inevitably an accident. How funny is that? It usually never is. I mean, you have ideas. I think that the entrepreneurial journey, or I like to call us creators, we think of things and we go for it, right? right. Uh, too many people spend time. Oh, I need to know what my financial situation is. What's it going to be in five years, two years, one year? I need a massive business plan like that. I mean, and that's great if that's what you're into. But really for me and all the people I know that have started businesses um, have done it like us. We just go for it and and we make our mistakes, but we're able to, you know, stand at the hand of adversity and build something amazing. Simone, too many people get ready to get ready to launch their business, yeah. right? They spend so much time getting ready and they have to devise this, like you said, this huge business plan, which is already out of date by the time they even launch their business. And it's because of fear. Most people do not start their business because they are afraid. I tell people all the time, if you're afraid, that's fine. We're all scared, but you do it scared anyway. You had no idea what you were getting yourself into, yet you did it anyway. You jumped off the cliff and built the plane on the way down, which I've, I've used that phrase many times before, as the, the co-founder of LinkedIn has said. But the bottom line is, you figured it out along the way without having this huge plan. And I hope that the audience is hearing that, hearing that loud and clear to stop getting ready to be ready. I agree a hundred percent. I think too much time is wasted and I'd like to live my life on and and later in life. I don't ever want to look back and say, what if I would have done that? I, I would have rather failed a thousand times over than to have to look back and say, Oh, if I would have done that. And that that's kind of how I live. I know it's not for everyone, but that's good because there would be too much in the market at that point. Of course. Well, at the end of the day, we don't, we want to live our life with absolutely no regrets, right? We, we don't want to look back and say, would have, could have, should have to start a business is scary. And there's so much uncertainty, but it's the people who are willing to make mistakes, be willing to fail and willing to make another decision. See, that's that's the difference between you and why so many businesses don't make it is because you weren't afraid to make a decision. 
and you weren't afraid to take massive action. And even though you didn't want that $350 couch and you thought it was ridiculous and it was stained and ugly off white and everything else, look what it turned into. All because that stupid couch. That's true. It comes to that one couch. (laughs) That's how it all started. I'll I'll never forget it. (laughs) Right? That just proves that life was happening for you, right? It was. I, I truly believe that things are put in our life for a reason and we should maximize the use of it. Yes. And look with the same thing that what transpired out of that couch, having that estate sale and you helped a family through a grieving time that created now a, a business for you that if I have the, the data right, you uh, founded the company in 2011, you franchised in 2014, and you have 42 franchise locations in 10 states. What made you decide to franchise this concept? When we started getting really into it, I had my brother come over and help me because I couldn't do it on my own. And we hired a couple of people. Um, some of those people have been with us since the very beginning, even after we franchised to the date. In franchising, I knew a little bit about it because I owned a Remax franchise. And I really enjoyed working with that model. At that time, it was amazing and, and still friends with a lot of the people that are still in that network. It's it's an unbelievable model that they had put together there. Um, and so I knew what I wanted as a franchisee, but I also knew what was missing that wouldn't take so much to add, you know, more support, more videos, more things that would help people grow. But when we got so busy where I was having to turn people down. The estate sale business is an unregulated business, right? So my goal was, and I came from obviously a very regulated industry, you know, everything had to come down to the dollar and was audited and over and over again, right? And then coming into an industry that was completely unregulated, there were no list of things of items were sold, you just handed cash over. I mean, that scared me because I, I had read about horror stories online about hiring estate sale companies and them not paying or moving on or moving into the house and not and and not oh. selling the items and having to remove those people after six months of court dates and, and the costly thing to the family as they're already going through so much so i thought oh you know i was going to be a pioneer you know change the world of estate sales right, I, right. you know i have all these big dreams of grandeur right that i'm going to change the world to a better place right so um i started this as more of like a professional business i modeled it really similar to a real estate company and a finance company together where we showed up professional we did professional things. We had timelines when we paid. We gave lists of items that were sold so that the customer could be comfortable when we took care of it, that it was really taken care of, that Mm -hmm. they weren't going to have to worry about, um, am I going to get paid? Are they going to disappear? Right. But with that said, you know, when you brand something like this, that's unregulated, you get really busy fast, especially the network that I had already acquired from my previous businesses. We were turning people down and that was like my biggest fear. One, I was working seven days and my brother and I were working seven days a week. So I loved my boys and I was spending very little time with them, which, you know, was changing me as a person, which I didn't want. And two, turning people down was such a, a horrible feeling when you knew that they needed somebody, but you knew they didn't have a better option than us. I couldn't refer anybody that I thought would treat them the way that we treated them and, and with the professionalism they needed for everything in the house that just really making it clean and and respecting the items that were for sale. Mm-hmm. So I had decided one time when I was talking to my girlfriend on the phone, it was I'm like, you know, I'm going to, I think I'm going to franchise this. She thought I was nuts. There's a, you're, you're crazy. Like I understand the whole estate sale, why you did it, but you cannot franchise. What are you going to do? You're going to give them away, give them a kit or something. I'm like, no, I'm going to train him. I mean, she's like, you're crazy. 
So the next day I started looking at because you could divisionalize it. You could mm -hmm. make it, you know, just sell divisions of it or not even sell it, just hire people. But you're in a cash business. So you're putting a lot out there for employees to deal with cash and you don't know the inventory because it changes every house or every business. Sure. Right. So I um, decided we're going to franchise it. I also no, by doing that, I was able to satisfy one of my biggest needs, and that is to help other people build businesses. So I was fortunate to have the estate sales. And then the coolest thing is I was able to help other people who weren't able or didn't know how to own a business build their own business around the estate sale. And that part just, that's probably my greatest <laughs> adventure, I uh, guess you would say. You know, Simone, all of us founders are a little crazy because we're willing to do what, what others aren't. So when people tell us, no, you can't do that, we end up having to do it, right? You have to do it. <laughs> exactly. That's what makes us different. So are most of the estate sale companies mom and pop around the country? And is it very fragmented? Majority. Majority. Yes. Um, there are only two estate sale franchise companies that do truly just estate sales. We're the only one that added the business liquidations. But my vision of estate sales is, is very similar to how the you know, the lending of real estate companies um, have been built where I would like to see, you know, 20, 30 real main players of franchises that do estate sales. Um, and, you know, such as like, you know, a Remax Coldwell Banker Hathaway, sure. things like that, having the same, you know, model of estate sales go through as franchises. And I would love to see it global. I know that there are many countries out there that need the same service. And I would love to see that we could take this someplace further. Sure, Simone, I love fragmented industries because it's, it's easy to snatch up some market share, right? And I love that your goal, your objective is ultimately for that industry to not be fragmented because it'll end up making your company better too, right? It legitimizes the business even further. And by elevating the game, ultimately our, the consumer gets a better experience. And we can't, you can't serve everybody anyway. I think that's, uh, that's, a, that's such a great objective and a great way of looking at the business. You're looking at it from a standpoint of abundance and not scarcity in terms of customers, right? I think that we are stronger when we build bigger and better and, and that we open up our industries to other people to be in. I don't think there's a room in anything in regards to monopolies, because then what that does is it takes the consumer out of play because they only have one option or two options, right? Sure. They should have many, many options. And it's about the consumer. It's not about the industry, right? So if we can just, as entrepreneurs and creators, always remember the consumer mm -hmm. and who's buying our product, we would be a much better group of people. <laughs> I, I think so. So I get a lot of emerging franchise founders ask me about, you know, they're starting out and they want to know, like, you know, how do they get their first 10 franchise locations? So how did you get your first dozen or so franchisees? Who are they? Where'd you find them? Well, my sparkling personality. <laughs> no, um, I... <laughs> I already had a very large network of people that trusted me and were going to follow me anywhere because they had followed me from the lending side to the real estate, to the Remax, to the escrow. To, so I already had such a huge network of people that really wanted to do what I was going to do the next time around. Mm -hmm. So those first 10, <clears throat> excuse me, may have been a little bit easier for me than some if their network isn't big enough, right? I think if you network early on in life or before you start franchising, it's much better to, um, to grow with people that you trust, right? Mm -hmm. And so the first 10 franchises 
I mean, one of them was working as a, uh, she would come and pick up all the leftovers, right? Her and, and, and her partner. And it was like crazy, like dressers that were three, 400 pounds, they were lifting them. And I'm like, oh my God, like by the time you're 50, you're not even going to be able to stand up straight. Like you cannot do this. And so I'd offered her a franchise. At that time, we did 100% financing for her. And I figured, you know what? I'm saving a life today because at 50, she's not going to be able to, and it was worth it. And and she's become an amazing business owner. I I feel blessed every day that she's actually in my life because it's, it's been such a great relationship. So I I think offering our ability to build businesses to Mm -hmm. people who can't normally do it is important as well. I know a lot of people look at it as, well, they have to have, you know, $160,000 in the bank, right? And every FDD says you must have 132 or a million whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But if you can open up your mind to helping others get into the business, they will be forever grateful and they will, they will follow your brand guidelines. They will do everything because you gave them an opportunity. So if if we could give more opportunities to people who want to get into small businesses like franchising, I think you would have a lot more people enjoying their life and, and doing what they love to do rather than just the everyday nine to five. I agree with you. I, I agree with that. I, I experienced something very, very similar where a young guy needed some help early on in my franchise career in getting in the business. And I believed in him wholeheartedly. And I, I did I did build a finances franchise early on because he just had like that it factor. You know, sometimes you just see that in that person's eye. You know that they're going to make it and they needed a little extra help. And he became a huge success and actually exited the franchise system a few years ago. And uh, him and his family just, they enjoyed all the hard work. He's enjoying now the fruits of his labor. I'm so thrilled that I was able to see that in him as you, you know, see the same thing in people. There definitely should be more opportunity out there. With that said, it sounds like you and your, your team, you've done a great job with diversity. Let's talk about diversity in Grayson's and what that looks like for your company. I had just done an article on this on diversity. I had no idea that I had um, that percentage in there. I have never looked at diversity as a way to make a decision. Um, my decision making in selling franchises, Ben, is do you love the business? Will you love what you're doing? Are you kind, compassionate, but you also have strength to allow the your sellers to see that strength so they can walk away and do what they need to do with their everyday life when this happened? So if they happen to be one way or the other, I don't know. I've just never looked at it like, oh, I got to go out and get like this many people, this many mm-hmm. things. And I've always just sold to the people I thought would be appropriate to be a part of our Grayson's family. And it just so happened that it involved diversity. Yeah, what, 59% of your franchisees are from minority groups, right? That's that's amazing. It's hard to say, you know, because I don't like the word minority because I think we're the majority, right? Right, Like right. Uh, most people, majority being business owners, right? We want to be business owners. Most people do. I, I just never, I can't wrap my head around you know, color or ethnicity, if I say that right, it's really hard for me to say that or, or age or um, anything like that, you know, a separate class of people. I've never looked at people like that. I guess I I would be one of the very few gender blind individuals. I could care less if you're male or female, as long as you want to do this and you Mm -hmm. love it, then, then yeah, you're more than welcome to come join us. That's awesome. Simone, your heart is really in the right direction. I, I, I love that. Let's talk about you as a franchisor, what do you think, because you, you had a background in franchising, which is rare in, in, in real estate with Remax, but 
What do you think it takes to build a real solid foundation as a franchisor with those first units? Honesty. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, the people look at franchisors as like salespeople, right? We're looking for the next, how fast can we build? Um, how many can we get, right? In the beginning, there was an article written by the New York Times. Um, they had interviewed me. And you can see like um, my goals in there, which were just outrageous, right? I was like, oh, we're going to have 40 the first year, 50. And then I got into doing um, franchising. And I realized that you could have 40 that first year, Simone, but you will have 36 of them that will never produce, right? Mm -hmm. So I think when you become a franchisor and you're looking at that first 10, the first 10 are very important. They will shape the rest of your model. Right. When you put that culture in place, that culture has to last throughout the entire time. If you change that culture, you lose those legacy owners and you start losing what you actually built. So staying focused on why you built it. I, I know that some people build because they're like, I'm going to build franchise and make a million dollars and people are going to go out there and they're going to work with me. Right. And they're going to make me money. That is not the way I look at it. I look at it and think, I'm going to build a franchise and I'm going to sell a thousand of those franchises because a thousand people are going to own their own business someday. And I did that. And then mm-hmm. if, if you can do that, then every time you sell a franchise, it feels amazing. And you're not always looking for that next one, right? You're, you're enjoying what you're doing every single day. It's all about mindset. Your mindset was really on making people successful and awarding franchises to the right people as opposed to just the sheer number. But as the franchisor, you know that you have to scale rather quickly and we want to get to being royalty sufficient sooner rather than later. So we stay in business. How did you know with 40 franchises? um, I imagine that you didn't just open up with a whole slew of them right away. It took it was slow and steady pace. Slowly, some years we did seven sales, 10 sales. Um, There was a time when we were growing so fast that I actually stopped doing sales to really put the uh, technology and all the things in place that the franchisees needed. Mm. Because when you grow fast, you have to learn how to scale that growth. And sometimes when you have a model that is so advantageous and people want it, you can't just continue to sell it and just compound and compound and compound problems on top of it because you don't have that infrastructure in place. So I took about a year to revamp all the infrastructure to make sure that I could satisfy more locations and have more locations coming in rather seamlessly. And and that was that was probably one of the easiest decisions I've ever made was to slow it down. A lot of people think that's difficult to do because they're thinking of the dollar amount, right? Mm-hmm. But if you don't think about the dollar and you think about the big picture and the future of the business, do it while it's earlier on in your franchise growth, right? Because when you try to slow things down when they're booming at 40, 50, 60, 100, 1,000 franchises, good luck. I mean, it's too many people involved, too many locations involved, and and you can't really scale that. I mean, so I was very happy to be able to like, whoa, stop for a minute. We need to put this back in on the right track and make sure we get to the right place. Simone, you are so smart because you're able to make a decision based on what's right to do, not what is popular. Because the popular decision would be just, we'll figure it out as we go. But you realize that I, I would love for you to take me back to that time where you said, we have to stop selling franchises because there are emerging founders out there that are listening to this and they're in the same position where they scale, they grew a little too quick and they're, they're really nervous because they don't have everything in place. 
and the systems and processes are starting, the wheels are starting to fall off the truck maybe a little bit. So can you take us back to that time? What was happening internally that made you decide, uh, guys, we need to put the brakes on this? There was only two of us. Uh, myself, I believe Brenda was with me at the time, or maybe it was Melissa. I had another assistant who now since owns a franchise herself. We have been getting calls nonstop in the current franchises and different technologies and trainings and, and things we needed to do. And of course, I love technology. So I was getting so bombasted into the technology world that I was forgetting, you know, how to implement that for the franchisees, right? And, and when you do that, you start to lose focus on the growth. What I realized was they needed more nurturing rather than technology because you could put as much technology in anybody's space it's not good if they don't use it right it's like the person who you know oh they have great potential they're 60 and they never used it so no they don't have great potential they never (laughs) had it right i mean it's just the i don't know so this is the same thing with this was we i looked at it and thought we're losing the confidence of the current franchises because we're not giving them the tools to make their life easier. We're giving them more technology and more tools and more of this, but it's overwhelming them. And so we needed to scale everything back and say, let's get back to our basics. Why did we start this? Why are we selling franchises? Well, because we want other people to be successful in our business as well, while we're helping other people in our local areas. And so I scaled it all the way back to the original thought process of why did I get into estate sales? And then I built up from there. Since training and support was at the heart of the matter, that's really needed to be kind of uh, revisited. What does training and support look like? For a Grayson franchisee? We do a one-week training um, Monday through Friday. They are on site on, on a sale Tuesday, Thursday, um, learning how to do an estate sale and, and business liquidation, learning all the systems that are in place. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, they're in the office. And then Saturday's optional, which they all take. They go to a final day of a sale to see how that works because it's that's a little, um, little bit more action on that day. You're looking at a lot more negotiating because you have to keep in mind, we have to get rid of 30, 40, 50, 100 years of a life in three days usually. Oh, my goodness. So in order to do that, you have to have it staged professionally. You have to have everything priced. Um, you have to make sure no one's falling downstairs. Liability is a, a big thing for us. Um, safety is a big thing. I think when you look at it, it could be overwhelming. Like, whoa, that's a lot of things, like thousands and thousands of pieces in a house. But when you when you train them how to set up things professionally, and it looks amazing every time within one day to two days, that's like when the light comes on for them, like, oh my gosh, I can do this. You know, I I think, I think the greatest moment that I have is when at the end of training, they realize, because they don't realize they're learning, right? Mm-hmm. And at that end, that final day of Friday, all of a sudden they think, I can actually take an appointment. I mean, and at this point, we're getting calls for appointments while they're in training. I mean, the ramp up is so quick on this because we we, we had to brand not just an estate sale, but we also had to brand the actual brand, right? Because most people didn't know what estate sales were. So there was a dual amount going on there where you have to brand an entire industry and then also brand your, your name so that people would look at you. So when people said, Grayson's like a Band-Aid, right? It's actually a bandage, but everybody calls them band-aids because they did such a great job at marketing that item, right? Right, right. Um, so in support, um, 
Well, we have tremendous support. We obviously have an internet. I'm on call 24 hours a day if I can help, with the exception <laughs> of Sunday. I'm like, if no one's dying, don't call me. Right, right. Which is kind of weird for my industry. I'm like, if no one in your family's dying, don't call me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, usually Monday through Saturday, I'm on call. Um, Brenda's there. Uh, we have now a tremendous amount of support with Brad and Dave and um, Victor and, and the current franchises. The nice thing about our group is they understand that if the franchises are not successful, the other ones, then they will not be successful. True. So our franchises, especially the legacy ones, really help move the newer ones coming on board mm -hmm. because they know if they're not successful, they will not be able to be successful on their own. You do not want terminations of franchises. So they take that very seriously. Right. And who is your your ideal franchise owner? What are the traits that and they need to be to be successful? Um, they have to have. Well, honesty is obviously uh, the key. They have to have empathy for people's, you know, you know what they're going through. Mm -hmm. But they also have strength, which means when you go meet with a seller, they're going to tell you some things that you know could really you know hit you. I mean, there's been times when I've been in appointments where. You know, it just makes me sad to think about what they've gone through over the years, right? But you can be sad, but you can't you can't dive into their emotions with them. You can say, "I understand. We're here to help you. Give those to us. We'll take care of this for you." That strength is needed, and it's what the sellers want. They want somebody that they can just hand over this big house full of items and trust that they can do it and walk away and take a breath. I mean, I can't tell you how many sellers are like after an interview, they'll be, I'm so glad you came because I just didn't know where to start. And I know that you'll take care of this. And that's really what we're looking for is we don't want salesmen per se, um, as people call salesmen. Mm -hmm. I believe sales is only about honesty and being upfront with people. And if they like what they hear and they know that that's what we'll do and they hire us, then that's what makes it successful. Sure. Simone, it really sounds like you're really in the comfort business. Somewhat. It's uncomfortable. Some of the things we find. No, but you're providing comfort. <laughs> yes. That's really the business that you're in. You provide comfort to people yeah. in a, in the, the hardest time of their life. Yes. We provide them comfort, but we also give them strength mm -hmm. to get through it. And, and by taking that, that house and all those troubles away from them at that moment, that gives them the strength to keep moving on. Sure. Now let's talk about how huge this industry is and it's about to become. I feel this industry is really at its infancy. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's been around since trading of, you know, I don't know, cavemen with, you know, furs and food, right? <laughs> um, but we, we've taken it out of the rocks and put it, you know, in a more professional atmosphere. And when you do that to an industry that hasn't had that for um, its whole conception, then you actually can grow it into something amazing. It is definitely, if you look at it as a child, right? Mm -hmm. You're looking at it's probably about six months old. It's got another... 99 years plus four months to go. I mean, it really, I don't see it going anywhere. You also see the aging population, which everybody uses as a tagline, but it's actually a true thing. Our aging population needs us. And if we can continue to grow this as a global environment, rather than just, you know, the United States, I don't see it stopping. I really don't. Now let's talk about the second business that 
kind of spun off from this in the business liquidation. How did you get started with business liquidations? When Amazon came on and eBay and all these different selling shops came on, a lot of these little hobby shops, you know, Pier 1 Import, you know, just shop hairstyle shops, things that, you know, were selling product that you could get off of eBay and Amazon for cheaper and it come right to your door. I thought, wow, all these small businesses, they're just walking away from inventory. I had known a few, and I do know a few commercial realtors, of course, right? So they were talking about how difficult it was to get these small businesses out of the commercial strip malls because they had nowhere to put their inventory. And they were having to walk away from hundreds of thousands of inventory dollars because they didn't know where to put it. And so I thought, well, I started looking at statistics of small businesses going out of business from the large Walmarts and the, and the big brand, you know, Costco's, and then also your online presence and thought, oh my gosh, there's a whole nother group out there that we've left out. And it's the business owners because those business owners are actually state sale customers as well, right? Because they yeah. own a, another business, some of them. And so if they relocate, they're not, they're not going to take their business with them. They're going to sell all their items in their house and their business. So we could help the commercial real estate industry removing and, and selling all the items within the business, just like we do in a state sale. There's different marketing, obviously, that go, goes involved with business liquidation, but we were able to do that and help businesses do that. Now, COVID happened and that put a stop to the growth of business liquidations because the government was giving out free money to every small business, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, I'll go buy cars. I mean, no one really put that into their small business, right? And so now as COVID has now finally gone away and we started back up on the business liquidation, it's becoming extremely popular. So I think as like a creator entrepreneur, if you keep your head down and you listen to what the sidewalk's saying, you can morph your business into seven different services if you want. Tell me about what, what percentage of your business is made up of estate sales versus business liquidations? I would say business liquidation is probably maybe 10% at this point. Mm-hmm. I would love to see it be a 50-50 split. Um, but there are only so many small businesses out there, right? But we don't just do like strip loans. We've done schools, charter schools, large print shops, office buildings, Pier Ones, Mimi's Cafes, restaurants, plumbing shops, inventory shops. So it's not just your hobby shop, right? We're doing it from there. And I would love business liquidation to scale um, to get to the point where we're working directly with the commercial realtors and the business people who are owning these strip malls. So my vision for business liquidations is a little bit more complicated Mm -hmm. than the estate sale business. Well, with your real estate background, I bet you can do it. I will do it. I know you'll do it. So we have the estate sale business, which is clearly recession proof because people unfortunately are always dying. And then we have the business liquidation, which is actually good for business when there is a recession. You have a very unique, yeah, you have a very unique model that is really great for people to diversify. Do people also own other businesses or I should say, do you, do your franchisees also own other businesses or is this a full-time gig for them? In the beginning, usually it's it's a husband, wife, or a couple, right, that um, one of them will work a full-time job and one of them will start this business. And then the one that works a full-time job will come in and help after their full-time job, right? And what we're seeing with that kind of model where people start that way, anywhere from nine months to a year, that second person is able to move away from their corporate job or whatever job they have and come full-time into 
their actual franchise. Okay. What about manager operated? Could I do this as a franchise where I'm the owner and, and hire a manager? Does, does the numbers work? We highly encourage that. You do. We actually train the managers. Absolutely. The people that we sell franchises to their best usage of time, which time management is really the hardest thing about owning a business. Their best usage is out networking and getting business for their employees and their managers to run those sales. Is their best time used at pricing and um, staging monetarily for growth? No, their best time is out there growing their business. And so I highly, highly encourage all franchisees to look at the model as, you know, yes, get to know it. You've got to know your business. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to be an absentee. I mean, that's ridiculous. You have to know your model or else the employees you hire know more than you. You're left in the dark most of the time. You don't know what's going on in your business. But after three to six months, yes, we highly encourage managers to be hired and trained. And they can come into the corporate office, get their training. Um, back to your original question of training support. We train their their managers for three days in the corporate office. And then we send them back with all kinds of shirts and excitement. And they're ready to go. And that's they're retaining you know, their employees that way. Cool. I have a feeling you just piqued the interest of a lot of people that are listening to this by how that model is set up. <laughs> yes, for sure. Let's talk about franchising, about your the biggest surprise since you've been at this for a number of years. What's been your biggest surprise in franchising? It actually worked. That it worked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't see that coming. All right, come on, expand on that. I mean, I, when I had sold the franchise, like you talk about the first 10, I mean, really the first 20, I'm like, look, I really appreciate you having the faith in me and Grayson's, <laughs> but I don't know if this is going to work. So, you know, don't come back on me if it doesn't, right? right. I was really like, I, I, when you talked about fear earlier, and there's not a day I don't wake up with fear in my mind, right? Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, you, you always have that. And if you didn't, then you really shouldn't be building businesses because now you just you don't have any idea what you're doing at that point. You wake up with fear and are you going to do something right? What's my liability? All the people that buy, are you going to be able to survive and they're going to be able to survive and support their family? Right. Right. And so, yeah, that would, I was really hesitant on, I don't know, guys, I don't know if this is going to work, but I really appreciate you taking the risk and, and being vocal about it too. Like really telling people, honestly, like, we built this amazing thing and I know the model's incredible. I mean, it is recession proof, it's inflation proof and the economy is great. People are buying from us like crazy when the economy is bad the, or in recession or inflations are a problem. People are buying the everyday items, you know, the washer dryers they can't get for under two grand, you know, the cleaning products, maid services come in and buy. Mm -hmm. So you have a different dynamic when the economy changes, but when the economy changes, it doesn't change us. We continue to sell because people will find us for what they need. So it's pretty incredible. But yeah, I I think that when it worked, I thought, oh my gosh, it's working. <laughs> right. The fact that you were worried a little bit and still, you know, powered through, what makes that so important is that having that uncertainty, making you worry a little bit, makes you focus on what you need to do. The people that need to worry are the ones that aren't worried. When they have no qualms, they think, oh, this, I got this thing licked and I'm not going to have any problems. Those are the people that should be, I don't want to say worried, but should be at least looking at their business and should be concerned. Humility can go a long way in operating a business. And you, you had a lot of it right from the very beginning, just by the fact that you were saying you were surprised it worked. I think that's, that, that is hilarious in itself, but it tells me though, I mean, you, you knew what you were going into, but again, you were willing to adapt and change and you know, you were hell bent on making this happen. 
adversity is probably the most important thing that you can have when you're building a business. Being able to change direction when the economy changes. Um, during COVID, we didn't close our doors. We actually developed a platform where we could sell within the guidelines. And majority of our franchise at the time were in California, so it was very strict. Um, and so we adapted to that COVID and our franchises were able to work. I could not imagine selling franchises to people who were not able to work and, and actually feed their families. So I woke up at like two in the morning thinking, okay, this is not going to happen. So came up with this platform and everybody on a call the next day. We worked it all out on just the logistics of it and we started doing it. And, you know, by the end of that year, we didn't lose money as a franchisor. And the franchisees that wanted to work were able to work. Um, I think when you move with where you are and where the environment is and the economy and everything else involved, then you will be successful as long as you have a good product. Absolutely. Simone, you've been such an open book. I'm curious if you'd be willing to share what have been one of your biggest challenges in business that or mistake maybe that you made and what did you learn from it? I'd say one of my biggest challenges is when we got to like 32 franchises. Okay. I had a I had a decision to make. I could either pump in a whole lot of my own money into the company and put it into marketing and brokerages and sell franchises because I knew we needed to grow a lot faster than what we were at this point. We had the infrastructure to be able to grow, but did we have the knowledge or the people that we surrounded ourselves by to grow? So I was getting a lot of calls from, you know, investors, you know, the New York investors, you know, hey, let me buy your company. That kind of stuff. I was like, but you're going to ruin my company now. Huh? So I had, a, I had a, a group reach out to me um, and I thought, nah, I don't want to forget it. I'll do it on my own. And then I really researched the people that are reaching out. And the last one that had reached out was somebody that I actually um, researched pretty heavily and who they network with and what they, they have done for other franchise models is what I decided to go with. Because the legacy franchises had taken such a risk on me, I couldn't risk their future by being an egomaniac and saying, this is mine and I'm only gonna keep my brand and I'm the top of the hill. It had to grow and it wasn't gonna do it just with me. So one of the biggest challenges was, will I sell or will I stay, right? And in the end, the best for the franchisees and their growth and for the growth of the brand and the actual industry of a whole, I decided it was best to sell at that time. And that was a very challenging moment, but I'm so happy I did. They have done everything they said they were going to do. We didn't lose a single franchise owner during the transition. It's been an amazing ride. Simone, I am so glad that you shared that because most Founders who I've run across, they forget that the business is really supposed to be bigger than them. It could be our baby, but we give our baby what it needs. And sometimes it needs something more than just us. And anybody that starts a business, I found we have an identity crisis, right? We start getting intertwined where us and the business are one and the same. And when it gets too tightly wound, then when we have those good days, we're feeling good. When we have maybe a bad day in business, it affects our personal life. I found that the best franchisors or the best just business people in general are the ones that can get away from that identity crisis and can separate themselves and say, you know what, the business is bigger than me. And you know what, I'm bigger than the business and other aspects too. And you did that by finding the right partner and you did the right thing for your company, as opposed to just doing the right thing for Simone. And that's, I think that's uh, something you should be very, very proud of. Oh, thank you. Would you share what advice do you give to people 
that are considering joining your brand? What do you tell them? Um, first of all, go to an estate sale and see if you actually enjoy the industry, right? right? Um, and and the, the number one thing I think for when you get into owning a business or you're looking at franchises or whatever, you're going to build your own business is do what you love, but don't do your hobby, right? Mm -hmm. Because that ruins your hobby. It becomes a burden and you no longer have that hobby. So now you have nothing to do when you need something to do to close your mind to the business, right? So love what you do, but not necessarily what you do on your off time, correct? And then you, and I think a lot of them, a lot that I've been talking to you, the, the spouses or even the, the potentials, they're looking for stability, right? So they're calling and they're saying, well, I just got laid off from my job or I've been working at this job. I'm working eight hours a week. I'm not appreciated, but it's stable. Right. And I think I tell them like, okay, so how stable is that? When you come home from work and you're upset about an eight hour day or a 40 hour week, do you come in and you're like, thank God I'm home. This is the greatest thing ever. No, you're still dragging all that work weight home with you. Sure. And it takes you 24 to 48 hours to get away from it. And guess what? The weekend's over and you're back in the day grind again. Or what if you put in 10, 20 years into a company like a lot of people have done and you've aged out and they're like, well, sorry, you've got to go. Is that stability? Because what is stability in your mind? And me, my mind is stability is being a business owner and putting everything you have into something that you love to do. And at that point, if you have a good support group and you work with us as a franchisee, you can do anything. You can be happy when you get home. You can be happy when you leave work. I really think that's probably the best advice I can give them is do something you love to do, whether it's with Grayson's or it's with something else. Just make sure you really enjoy it because that makes life a lot easier. Um, I, I could tell you that. <laughs> Yeah. Well, what you said makes perfect sense to me. It is great advice at the same time. Wouldn't you agree? It is also sometimes counterintuitive to what we hear depending on our upbringing. If you grew up in a family that wasn't entrepreneurial, the idea of going to business is scary as hell. Like don't do it because they know all the stories of people that failed and success seems like something that's just so far distant. Did you come from an entrepreneurial background? Um, no, I've always wanted to own my own business since I was like really, really young. I mean, my dad had had, he was in the Navy for um, quite a while until he was like in his thirties. And then he was an engineer and every day he would come home and be like, oh, my boss, this, my dad, you know, got my job, you know, just complaining, complaining. I'm like, Jesus, I do not want one of those bosses. <laughs> like that sounds awful. Right. So I'm right. like, I'm going to build my own business. So I don't have one of those bosses, you know, and we also moved a lot. We moved every two years or sooner we would come home and he would be, he never got rid of the, the, the naval mindset of we're moving to a different base. We're moving there. So when he got out, we were just always moving. So when you move a lot, you know, you go from a city to a country and everybody's laughing at your clothes because it's city clothes. Right. And then mm -hmm. you go from, you know, a country to a city and everybody's like, wow, where'd you come from farmer? Right. So you learn to um, build a pretty like thick skin in regards to people's opinions. If you are worried about what people think about you or what you say or what you wear or what you are, you probably shouldn't own a business. Right. The nine to five will work out just fine for you because you'll hear a lot of chatter and things that you're like, well, that was pretty unsavory, but well, that's their opinion. What do I care? You know, and you just move on. I don't know if I answered your question. You did. No, entrepreneurial was not. Uh, my dad, he always wanted to never had 
he was sick for a really long time, so can't take that from him. Mm-hmm. But he just never had the ability to launch what he wanted to do. Well, what it sounds like to me also is that you maybe you didn't come from an entrepreneurial upbringing, but you did have a thick skin and you had this ability to, you know, power through, like you, you knew what you wanted to do. And I think that that in itself is helped made you the success that you are. Yeah. Thank you. It's been a fun ride. Yeah. Uh, and the ride will continue. So if someone was interested in learning more about Grayson's, how can they get more info? Uh, they can go to our website, Grayson's, G-R-A-S-O-N-S.com. Um, the website is actually just being, the new one's being launched in two weeks. So I'm super excited about that because it looks amazing. And then they can also uh, call our office, the 844-802-8424, or they can just email me at Simone, S-I-M-O-N-E, at Grayson's.com. Very nice. All right. Well, Simone, last thing, I do this thing called the tip jar because the franchise community is so generous with best practices. So what advice would you give an entrepreneur that's looking to franchise their concept? I would say research your marketplace first. Make sure it hasn't been done a thousand times over because if it has done a thousand times over, just because you tweak the taste of a burger by adding a little bit more salt doesn't mean it's going to be successful. Find something that is a little bit out of the box. And one of my friends had given me, one of the realtors had given me the greatest advice ever. I said, I'm really going to build a company. I don't know what to build. And he said, find something no one else wants to do and do it the best. And I thought that was remarkable in what I've done. I mean, no one wants to go into someone's house and clean it, right? Right. (laughs) We just do it. Yes, I love it. We're going to end it there. That is fantastic advice. Simone, thank you so much for being on the show. I wish you all continued success. And uh, thanks again. Take care. Thank you, Frank. Thank you for tuning into the Emerging Franchise Brands Podcast. For additional insights, guest applications, and to stay connected, visit us at efbpodcast.com. The Emerging Franchise Brands Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of Emerging Franchise Brands, its host Frank Fumi, or Emerging Franchise Group, LLC. Any discussed franchise or investment opportunity requires thorough investigation, obtaining proper disclosure documents, and expert consultation before making any investment decisions. The podcast and its host do not offer professional advice or endorsements, and they hold no responsibility for actions, representations, accuracy, or consequential damages related to the podcast content.